And now it's time for East Cast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, Southwest Utsira, and North Northeast Utsira. Wind southwest, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. now, now, now. Welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling up in East London, but always resonating way beyond this little corner of the world. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Johnny Virgo and Jesse Lawson and our wonderful engineer, Freddie Chick, who we couldn't do the show without. Hey, Freddie. Hello, Eastcasters. Hello, Eastcasters. So this month, we hear um, about how you can join a pilgrimage to the dawn of, t- of life um, in the Epping Forest. And we meet multifaceted artist Simon Milner, head of a torrid exhibition in Dalston. We also get to hear from Rob Pratton, a transmedia creator and entrepreneur from London's East End, to discuss some of the work he's been doing with his company, Conductor. And I've been chatting to the people of Kingsland Road about periods. <laughs> but first, <laughs> let's introduce you to Asma Shah and Roxy Johanshahi from East London-based company You Make It, who are on a mission to totally transform local young women's lives. And they're also joined by Sharon Adam, who, um, a You Make It graduate, who's here to tell us how the scheme worked for her. Welcome. Thank you. So, first of all, Asma, tell us about You Make It. What What is it that you do and how did you start? Um, so, You Make It is an organisation that I set up six years ago um, with no funding, but just a lot of a, pa- a passion and a will to ensure that young women from similar backgrounds to myself were able to really understand and achieve their full potential. Um, I set You Make It up for three reasons. One of the main reasons was that my late single mother had died of cancer, and that got me thinking really long and hard about my start in life. Brought up in a council estate in Peckham, my mum had run away from our dad, raised four girls, but during her lifetime had really progressed a career for herself professionally. And so I thought a lot about what it was that she'd managed to access and what we'd managed to access to make myself and my sisters have kind of professional, you know, quite fulfilling professional lives. Um, at the same time, 2011, when I set it up was the time of austerity. It was very clear to me that the government didn't really give a toss about women like us. Um, and also I'd been living in the East End of London and a really gentrified bit, actually. And I got really quite angry about the growing gaps between rich and poor, black and white. So the programme engages young, unemployed women, mostly black and Asian from the East End of London in a really exciting programme of activities that basically helps them build relationships with people and places in the East End they wouldn't normally have access to and to discover their true potential and to really work towards achieving, you know, their dreams. And that could be in the crazy fields or it could be in any any area really that they're interested in thank you so um roxy tell us a bit how how the program works what how do people enroll where do you find them and then what do you do with them sure so um 
we find most of our women at job centres actually across Hackney and Tower Hamlets, but also get a few peer referrals, people who've been through the programme um, and also some people who get referred from universities like University of East London, um, who've had a lot of graduates from in the past. Um, so the, rec- the actual process of recruiting them is having really, really relaxed conversations about where they're at, where they want to be and how we can step in and support them for their through that process um the program itself lasts six months and throughout that period they've got six months of one-to-one mentoring where they get allocated their own mentor who is an experienced network professional who supports them for six months with setting goals um thinking about where they want to go and really getting a chance to put their dreams into practice um, they have 14 weeks of weekly workshops and those take place at really creative cultural organizations in london um and there they kind of get to explore lots of different themes um around maybe their values themselves reflecting their own lives think about where they want to go but they also get to acquire some really great skills along the way they have startup experience with a great thing called trading places so a market source project if they've got a craft that they might make at home um, there's a business pitch competition called Ladies Then where they can get some funding and some coaching um, and there's also work placements that are matched to what they want to do in terms of their careers at the end there's a great graduation ceremony and that's a chance for them to really speak on stage with confidence and authenticity about their journeys and say how far they've come and how they've made it So you're here with um, Sharon who's been through this um, process where are you at at the moment? Well, I'm halfway through the process at the moment so we've just finished the workshops and um yeah so i've been seeing my mentor regularly and um, yeah i just love it i love the experience that i've had like i've met so many amazing people even just the other girls that are on a course with me they're just inspiring and just hearing their stories and what they've been through makes you feel like you're not alone and like we're all kind of doing this together. So mentoring is really important for you isn't it Asma? So you've been like you've set up training for mentors as well so you teach people how to be a mentor and how to give the best of themselves absolutely so i i mean i've been mentored before i did something called the claw leadership program for people who are you know established in the cultural sector and i don't think mentors always know what know what's expected of them as mentees don't really know what to expect from the mentors so we've got this fantastic gestalt psychologist whose whole area of passion is mentoring and she trains all mentors in the art of mentoring and also trains the mentees in knowing what to expect expect of their mentors so those relationships are really productive and fulfilling and no one really loses direction so Sharon who's your mentor at the moment my mentor's name is Roshin and she's a manager on arts gallery and because I want to go into the art field so she's been giving me lots of help and like she's helped me sort of set my website and kind of going through my artwork and stuff like that so it's been amazing so what are you thinking like what are the next steps are you, have you already kind of thought about where this is going to take you you're, yeah, you're the, setting up a website yeah at the moment yeah just trying to make more art now to put up on my website um i would like to maybe in the future have like an exhibition maybe um and then i'm going to be interning at the gallery as well so that'd be something maybe interested in going to the future Great. And um, one of the things I've noticed is that it's it's the whole network thing. And I think that's really important um, because often um, people take for granted that, you know, they have these networks and you grow up with parents who have networks. And if you don't have that, you have to create them. So how do, how do you do that? So all of our, and I think that's just a really important point, actually. If you come from a working class background, you're the first in your family to have gone to university. You don't, even if you've been to university, you don't come out with any kind of sense of contacts. You don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And we're really bridging that gap between people who have them and people who don't. 
Um, so in our programme, every workshop is delivered by somebody new. So over 14 weeks, our women will be meeting uh a new member of their network and we encourage them to keep in touch and to be in touch with those people as and when they need additional support and help. Obviously, they network amongst each other. I think the peer network is not to be underestimated. All of these women are committed and determined to going somewhere in their life and so we really encourage women to keep in touch beyond the programme. Um, and that's, yeah, it's a very organic process of networking. You know, it's not a kind of this is how you network. It's more more about making people meet people they wouldn't typically meet whether that's through a placement host a mentor or someone delivering a workshop although it's not always obvious of how you network either like it's mm. it's it's quite um intimidating sometimes it's like right there's a person over there go and talk to them so i mean is that kind of something you help people with yeah i think just by the example of you make it and how i set it up i mean i think that's the first sort of really inspiring example that our women learn about which mm. is that you know I had no money setting this up but what I did have was an enormous bank of contacts socially and professionally that I'd accumulated in the 20 years leading up to setting this up and so when I tell the women that this all you know six years ago started by me just asking people for favours you know remembering people who I thought I had a bit of resonance and synergy with if they could get involved they kind of it's more through example um, that they understand the power of networks and the stories that people on the programme tell them about how they got things going. And I think that really encourages women to do the same as they move forward with their ambitions. And something else I've noticed is this kind of setting of um, often with these kind of programmes, it's like there are quite unrealistic goals at the end of it and saying, OK, so now you can be a film producer, off you go um, or whatever. So I'm just wondering how you kind of negotiate that and how you help people to kind of set something that's realistic, that, they, you know, a job that's actually going people can go into and it's not this kind of there's not there's nothing wrong with having super kind of future goals and something that's as aspirational but sometimes you you do have to have your feet on the ground and know whether that's a realistic goal or not um, I think one of the key things is that um, in that mentoring workshop, something that is discussed uh, with Anjiku is about setting smart goals um, and really measuring them, making sure they're attainable, realistic and time specified. And I think just having that really key tenet there allows women to start thinking about what is my goal? What can I do within six months? What can I do beyond the six months? And even within those six months, how can I break those down into smaller goals that are achievable? So we're not there to... Um, tell anyone they can't do things but to think about the time they do have and how best to use it and why what's specific to women what are the difficulties that women specifically face when they're trying to launch a career or set you know set themselves up the women that we work with the issues that they experience and that I've begun to really learn about and they some of the issues the ones that we had growing up mm -hmm. in Peckham uh, a lack of confidence a lack of self-belief Care, onerous caring responsibilities often being single mothers who left school at 15 women who have very low sense of self-esteem because they've been abused neglected been in violent relationships um and just it really it boils down to confidence because of all of those things so for some reason they have been derailed from really understanding their true potential um and the reason i want to work with women a, because as I say, this this is kind of a grief project that's just continued. It happened, in, you know, in honour of my mum and her life and our lives. But, you know, the reality is that when you look at unemployment figures in the East End of London, unfortunately, it's black and Asian women who are really struggling to get ahead. Right. And, and it is for those reasons of confidence and really difficult, difficult things that mm -hmm. they have to manage.
And finally, you said that your mother's the inspiration for this. What what did she achieve and, and what in, what inspired so, you? So my mother came to Pakistan with my two eldest... Came from Pakistan, sorry, with my two eldest sisters and then myself and the sister just above me were born in London. She, you know, was married to a very violent man and when she was in London, she ran away with the four of us. We started our early life in a refuge for women who'd been in violent relationships um, rather than sewing clothes, which is what a lot of women did back in Peckham, back in the day, who needed money. My mum decided to um, study. Um, she became a teacher, then a schools inspector, then a head teacher. So she really, she did lots of things that weren't typical, leaving a violent man, not going back to Pakistan and building a really fantastic profession for herself and expecting, she didn't necessarily support us to do that. You know, in some way, she was busy with her career and we were a little bit neglected, but we could see that that's what, what was expected of us. Yeah, and So I guess she was that yeah. inspirational role model, which I yeah. think is a lot of what you make it's about, giving inspiration to women. Thank you, all of you, for coming in. And, and it's, it's just such an inspirational project. And if anyone wants to find out more and isn't necessarily at the Job Centre, how, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, we have a great website. It's you make, you-make-it.org. Um, and then we've also got Twitter and Facebook, underscore you make it. You can catch us on there. And if you drop us a message, we'll get back to you either way with any suggestions or any questions you might have. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It's really, really inspiring. Um, we are now going to hear um, about a really unique event taking place in Epping Forest later this month. Uh, it's called the Ancestors Trail, and it's a walk inspired by science. It's all about evolution and the tree of life. We've added music, poetry and dance. <laughs> um, and it started out in Somerset and moved to East London four years ago and has branched out internationally with other trails happening in the US, Canada and in Russia as well. Our reporter Celia Robbins has more. The Ancestors Trail is an annual event. It takes place in Epping Forest in North East London and this year it's on Saturday the 29th of July. I went to meet organiser Chris Jenord to find out more. Thanks for meeting me, Chris. Um, can you tell me what is the Ancestors Trail? It's a walk across Epping Forest uh, inspired by the Tree of Life. Every step you take, you're going backwards in time because we're starting at the present day, where you start from is the present day and you walk back in time. Everyone walks back in time along their trails until you get to the origins of life, which is four billion years ago. Eight trails from three to 12 miles long trace different evolutionary branches on the tree of life. Everybody walks from different locations and they all end up in the same place together. Um, but when you start, you're in a smaller group. Um, and we've started all of them in London from tube stations or railway stations. So, for instance, Chingford is the start of the human trail, so our own trail on the tree of life. Um, but if you wanted to start from Loughton, then you'd be walking as a gazelle. And if you start from Epping, you're walking as an amphibian. So there's different places you can start from depending on your particular walking distance mainly, uh, or you might prefer to walk as a different creature. Um, some people dress up. Uh, it's, it's great. It's good fun. And, um, but if you don't want to walk so far, you can start, say, for instance, um, the plant trail is only three miles starting in Waltham Abbey, uh, whereas the humans, you have to walk 12 miles across Epping Forest and into Lee Valley Park. So can you tell me a bit about the background to the Ancestors Trail and why you're doing this? It started from reading a book. And so uh, when I read the book called uh, The Ancestors Tale by Richard Dawkins and Yang Wong, uh, which basically has got a, t a strap line, a pilgrimage to the dawn of life. 
I then was happened to be going that year to Spain on holiday with my family and I saw one of the great Catholic uh, pilgrimages there and I thought wow that is awesome and uh, however I also felt a bit sad because I'm an unbeliever and so I, although they were very welcoming but I didn't actually felt I really belonged in that so I kind of watched it for a while and then put the two together and thought pilgrimage to the dawn of life actually we could have a pilgrimage based on on the tree of life um, that kind of gives us a sense of our shared belonging with all life on earth and it also fitted very nicely with my background as, a, as an ecologist and uh, the idea of people belonging in nature is a, understanding that is a very important part of caring about nature and about biodiversity so that's another theme that we've taken on the trail uh, it started in Somerset um, on the Quantock Hills uh, and then we've moved to Epping uh, for the last uh, this will be our fourth year now in, in Epping um, so we've done the trails for eight years now. So we're pretty um, established and we have a sort of format that works. Favourite moments? There's loads. Um, one of the ones I remember really good fun was when a group of people came up um, the monkey trail. And I knew they were walking it, so we were waiting for them, but they didn't. Uh, I didn't know what they were going to do. And when they arrived, uh, they performed Hey Hey, We're the Monkeys. <laughs> and um, they did it. They were breathless. They were covered in mud. It was, it was wet on in, in this particular trail. And it was a great moment. They just did it so well and the, and the people were so uh, appreciative of it. So there's moments like that. I think the best moments are where people come and bring something to the trail that, that I don't know as the organiser. So it has got that sort of community feel about it where people are going to do things relating to nature and our belonging within it and um, in many different art forms and, and, and ways of ex expressing things. So, so if somebody was going to come along um, and join you on the 29th of July, what could they expect? Well, they'd come to a tube station or a train station and there they'll be met by a guide, a volunteer. And that person will basically guide them along a route and they'll then make sure that we rendezvous with other walkers who've started from other locations. So as you walk, you'll get there'll be more and more people um, through the day. A lot of downtime basically where you can just have a chat and that's the most lovely thing I think about the trail is people interesting people getting together having a walk together it's punctuated by uh, events along the way so for instance we've had um, people playing guitar uh, song songs about science sometimes we've had we've had various artists doing that and we've had uh, actors on the trail we've had poets on the trail we've got someone coming this year who's looking at um, the idea of neuroscience ravens and tango how you connect those together only professor nikki clayton will tell you and she'll show you on the trail a barn owl on the trail this year being brought in and a, a, a living raven as well something so elegant about how developed from a single celled organism to one of the most intelligent things on the planet's capable of thoughts and backbits with ambition to try and make sense of our own existence and all of this came from no goals and no aims just a series of mistakes that made you what you are today I'm not the guy in the sky trying to design This is much more interesting than that Cos we're just a product of evolution We're basically chimps with slightly better elocution All living things have the same roots We're just slightly more intelligent in white clothes and boots So we need to keep ourselves grounded This says a lot about the random is much more astounding And we can learn about them all in time Cos we're just a tiny leaf on this big tree of life Oh, 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 oh Try to nourish survival that was Alfie Trelaw's Evolution Song. If you'd like to hear more science-themed music from Alfie, meet Nikki Clayton, who is Professor of Psychology at Cambridge University and Scientist-in-Residence at the Rombert Dance Company. 
you can find all the details at ancestorstrail.org.uk. It's a volunteer-run event and there is a £10 fee to join, which includes some well-earned refreshments at the end of the day. Chesant YHA is where we finished the trail and we all sit around and have a cup of tea and a bit of cake and, um, and generally rest after the, after the hike. Yeah. Bang goes the drum and this fiesta's begun That's a bit too fast, maybe I'll slow it down and do this one There you go, that's a bad tempo Bang goes the drum and this fiesta's begun It's well and truly fun And thank you Celia and Chris and their singer Alfie If you'd like to join the walkers on Saturday the 29th you can find all the details about starting points and how to register at ancestorstrail.org.uk well, a few years ago, I decided to create a project that brought together the crime fiction I was writing with the rap music I was recording. As I searched for use, useful tools to help me realise my vision, I came across Conductor and the CEO of the company, Rob Pratton. The world I discovered as a result changed my creativity forever. So thanks and hi, Rob. How you doing? Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, what is Conductor and how does it fit in with transmedia storytelling? Well, transmedia storytelling is telling a story across sort of multiple platforms. So you might have a street performance and an album or a, a movie and a game. And um, Conductor is a multi-channel gaming platform. And it's called Conductor because it orchestrates the user experience as they move across these platforms. So that's that's where we kind of got the name uh, for it. Okay. So in what areas are you using these storytelling tools right now? So uh, we just finished an experience uh, for the Anime Expo in uh, Los Angeles. And that was, uh, there's a very popular manga series called um, Attack on Titan. So we had um, basically a location-based experience, a little bit like Pokemon Go. So if you were in uh, Little Toko in LA, you could look on, a, look on our app on the map and see where there were Titans and then go and sort of fight them. So that is, that's kind of where, you know, the transmedia part of that is that we've taken manga characters who are now in anime as well, and then we've told a different story kind of as a live experience, if you want to, you know, if you want to call it that, by being able to virtually see these uh, titans and then kill them. <laughs> and, and this was something that you did, like, in, in, was this in uh, cooperation with the people, like the rights holders, the people who created the... The series, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Cadencia is the publisher, yeah. and uh, we've worked with Cadencia before on, a, on another manga uh, project called Your, uh, Your Life in April, Your Life in April, which mm -hmm. was last year. And um, so they invited us back and said, "Do it for a bigger property," which is uh, the Attack on Titan. Cool. So this all sounds very specific, and like I'm just curious, what was your personal journey up to the present moment? Oh, well, well, I mean, um, I feel like I need to give a life story after the other ladies that have just been on that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I grew up in East Ham, <laughs> yeah. so that's my, uh, so that's, that's my like, connection to the East End. And then um, I, um, I went to Ford Motor Company, actually, as an apprentice. Okay. So I was studying um, like mechanical engineering at the time, but I got really interested in microelectronics. So I was going to evening class to do that. And then Ford sponsored me to university. And when I, when I graduated... Sort of like to con sort of condense that sort of 
time but after graduating I became an expert in this area called intelligent networks and it's where you use a computer to control the telephony network so it's for things like uh, 0800 numbers or 0345 you can't tell where in the country that number's supposed to be. So yeah. when you make a phone call, it goes to a computer, and the computer says, based on the time of day or day of week or loading on the network, where that call should be routed to. Yeah. So this is why you might ring the same number, and at some hours of the day, it might get routed to India, yeah. and another time it might go to Glasgow, and another time it might go to London. And yeah. it's just a way for companies to help sort of, you know, basically manage the workload to follow the sun. So from that... Um, I thought, you know, like I kind of, I enjoyed that career, but I've always been very creative. I like play the guitar and I sort of paint and stuff like that. And um, so in 2000, just before the first internet bubble burst, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I went to film school. So um, since from about 2000 to 2008, I'm, I went to London Film School in Covent Garden and I made two feature films. And um, I realised that actually I really like technology. <laughs> yeah. So I went, you know, down this creative path and I and it was it was good fun, but I wanted to be a director and there's just not enough opportunities. <clears throat> I felt, you know, it takes like three or four years to get the finance and everything for the movie. And I thought, well, it's yeah, it's good when you're on set for like four or five weeks, but yeah. the rest of the time is actually like a quite a big grind. And yeah. and I, and we saw the rise of social media and I thought you know, this looks like because you know when I in two thousand there was no YouTube, there was no Twitter or anything like that, yeah. and so we, we saw the rise of that, and I started thinking actually this could be a good storytelling you know medium, and I could use that kind of intelligent networking idea, but apply it to these other platforms like YouTube and Twitter and so on. So that's how we got into it. Well, that's a surprise. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I asked that. So I just thought. If you could multi-platform any story or series or any property, what would it be and why? Um, I mean, I'm I'm really into sort of games, so I would I would I would like to do something for like Fallout, okay. the Fallout universe. I love Fallout Three, Fallout Four, New Vegas, and so on. So I would it would be really nice to do something like uh, the Secret Cinema type thing if people are familiar with that where you know you dress up in costume and you go to a live event and you really kind of you know in this immersive theatre is basically what it is but it kind of live role playing in that world so I think that would be really good and then um, maybe something a bit closer to home I've been listening to Kate Tempest quite a lot and I think uh, that that album she's got out now Let Them Meet Chaos there could be something transmedial there because she's got the family that are living in the street and I think it'd be nice to expand the lives of those families on other platforms and see like if you could interact with those and like send them a text message and see how they might respond at different times of the day even you know what what's their life like now yeah good well hopefully she's listening and (laughs) and that one happens okay so what do you think is the future of entertainment if based on what you what you've seen so far because obviously in bringing all this technology into uh, entertainment properties where do you think it's going to go i think um everything's going to become much more personalized because with the with the technology we see all of these lots of different services from like banking to travel and so on they're being designed so that they understand more about you and more about what you did in the past what you like if you look at netflix and amazon like the recommendations that it makes is based on previous purchases or previous things you've watched so you could imagine um and this is you know one of the things we're built conductor for is that it understands about the way that you progress through a story and it tries to adapt 
to what you know what it things you will like or what it things will keep you engaged and one of the things we like if you again sort of thinking about the guests that were on earlier the whole nature of education and employment is changing because it's no longer enough just to uh, get a piece of paper that said you've got a qualification and what we see is that lots of um Lots of jobs are just drying up because they're going to go to artificial intelligence and so on. Mm. And so you need a different set of skills. You need good communication skills, good kind of uh, negotiation skills, this type of thing. And that's, that's best taught through these participatory experiences. And so we're finding that where we created this uh, technology for entertainment, it's being used quite often now in what's called scenario-based learning. So we can put... Um, a person or a team into a particular situation and then they kind of role play through it and we have like these automated personas adapting to the decisions that people make so you might go into like a particular crisis for example and the way it unfolds whether it gets worse or whether it gets better depends on your on your choice and so we're we're doing that for like entertainment uh, for um, education mm. but you could imagine a show that kind of got better or worse based on the way that you sort of reacted with the characters in the show well i would love that i've seen so many shows that i've thought yeah this is taking that vanilla middle of the road decision and yeah. really there's potential choices for it to go extreme so Exactly, yeah. yeah. So for you, you could edit much more hardcore. Yeah. And then for my mum, who's a lightweight, she could get the uh, the shallow version. Yeah. So what projects have you got lined up uh, at the minute? So uh, right now, we're working on a project for uh, Visa is to help uh, youngsters with uh, personal finance. So you role play as being... Um, I want to be like YouTube star yeah. and uh, you have to decide which of these big media network uh, contracts you're going to take. Mm. Uh, but in order to make that de- decision that, you know, to make an informed decision, you have to go, for, you get like kicked out of your apartment because your manager's like a doofus. And so that, so you sort of role play a week in the life of these people. So that's something we're doing. We're working with a Spanish newspaper called La Vanguardia on um, a project to, uh, kind of teach people about food shortages they've been doing a documentary in africa okay. looking at the way that grain gets wasted through transport and how the farmers have to sell their grain cheap because they can't store it and so you'll get to you know meet some of these characters through an interactive episode oh sounds amazing so finally what's the best way for people to find out about your company and what you're up to um you could visit our website. It would be a good start. You can. It's, uh, it's conductor. Yeah. It's conductor spelt with two T's and one R. So often okay. people misspell it with T and two R's, like we're pirates. Conductor. Conductor. But it's the it's yeah. two T's. So it's conducttransmediatr.com. Okay. Cool. I've got a question before we oh, before we go off um, into our next segment. Um, Johnny, you've used this platform oh yeah full disclosure you know rob isn't paying me <laughs> but i've used but, it it's, so it's very good i'm i'm i would like to ask as a complete novice and someone going on to uh, use the platform how so what did you do what what did you use it for and how does it work because um okay. it's all very well talking yeah. about this transmedia stuff and and you know um i just want to know like on a sort of practical way what what you did like how did you use it Okay, first time I used it was I had an interactive theatre event that launched the first iteration of my novel and um, people in the scene could text people who were off-screen characters who gave them information about who they they should interview in order to solve a crime. Okay. So it was pretty... If you can use Photoshop, you could probably use it. So it's quite 
easy to use for someone who's not necessarily technical. It's there were a couple of things to set up, like working how to use phone lines with it was challenge for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But like, I pretty much say if you could use Photoshop, you could have used. Yeah, it. there's different there's different levels because um, when uh, when Johnny first came to the platform, we've got something like unique to a platform called the Beat Sheet. So if you're, in, you know, if you're familiar with telling stories, you're familiar with like chapters and scenes and a beat and so on. Um, but what we've done since then is um, basically developed this application on top of Conductor, which is much better, I think, for people that just want to tell these like tap stories. Mm. So um, if you get, if you get, go to the website and uh, click solutions, then you'll find this this thing that says tap bot. And basically what it is, it's an application and graphically you can sort of draw links for your like branch, what we would call a branch in narrative. So if, you know, you can offer someone a choice, like do you go into the cellar or do you stay in bed under the covers? And then you click the answer and it will branch. And you can include like videos from YouTube and stuff like that. So that will be the simplest way to start. I love how these kind of choiceability stories have progressed since the, the books. Yeah, I Yeah, and it's like... People obviously love that idea of being able to choose a, a you know a path, and it just keeps developing. So yeah, it's exciting stuff exactly. to be able it's a to lot do. Of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. Thank you so much. I really want to play the YouTube one. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah, good. It <laughs> sounds great. Cool. Um, so uh, thanks very much uh, for that, Rob and Jess. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, to Thank move on to a very similar topic. <laughs> yeah. um, so I found out last month that um, Menstrual Hygiene Day was on the 28th of May and I'd missed it. I just hadn't heard that it existed and didn't know what it was. Um, now I know that Menstrual Hygiene Day is a day to raise awareness of the challenges that people in the UK and around the world face to do with menstruation, uh, such as a lack of access to sanitary products, things like that. Um, and this got me thinking about why I, ha- why, why I hadn't heard of Menstrual Hygiene Day. And that got me thinking about the fact that it still often feels weird and uncomfortable for me in my day-to-day life to talk about periods. Um, So I set myself a challenge. Um, I work in Dawson and my mum lives on a boat near Clapton. So I walked from Dawson to Clapton and stopped as many people as I could on the street as possible um, and asked them to talk to me about periods. And then I ended up on my mum's boat, so then I chatted to my mum about periods as well. Um, So this next podcast is a result of those conversations. Uh, just before we play it, it has some strong language in it. So if that's not your kind of thing, then maybe skip the next 10 minutes. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Would you mind if I interviewed you for a small podcast? Okay. Um, about what? Yeah. Uh, about periods? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Sure. <laughs> We love women, we love our mom, we are, you know, I mean, this is nature, and uh, when they finish period, they are beautiful and uh, sweet, so I love it. during that time? Uh, no, they are really sweet, you know, <laughs> but stay away when they are in period. <laughs> I remember hardly anything about learning about periods at school, apart from maybe a 2D diagram that made no sense whatsoever. When I was about 12, I found a, I found, I thought I'd come on my period, and I, and I told my mum that I'd come on my period, and she got like a bottle of wine out, and we were like, yeah, it's my period. She wanted to celebrate, and then, uh, kind of at the end of the evening after we'd celebrated, mum, um, kind of like 
looked at my pants and was like, "Is like, have you started your period?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was that." And I, I pointed to a bit of red fluff. <laughs> she was like, "No, this isn't your period. That's not your period." Um, so I think that speaks of uh, the education in school or lack of. <laughs> I literally didn't even know what what it was. When I was in a junior school or high school, and I remember uh, one of our friends, she wasn't ready for it, and uh, she, she, her, her trouser is a bit bad, and every class is laughing on her. So from that day, I remember her. So, you know, I mean, like, we are all young, and she was really embarrassed, and she didn't come to school for one week or two weeks. So it started in the night, so I woke up. <laughs> Literally, I woke up and I was at the top of the stairs and I went, Mum! And then she was like, what? And then it's just like me lifting up my top, like, what is this? And she was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, the thing is, my mum, like, um, so she's, uh, I'm first generation, so, like, her, like, view on periods was just like oh my god please like don't get with boys you're gonna get pregnant like that was like the beginning she was thinking oh my god my child's gonna have sex next month like this is gonna be a mess she's gonna be pregnant but like it was more of that awareness rather than actually taking in what a period was and like the actual like feels of it but it was terrifying um she's from uganda um so she actually came over here as a refugee so she's like very protective as well so the two things she was just like western life like everyone's very forward and like you've just got your period and you're in school she was like panicking but like we got through it. <laughs> Say she's three, four years old and she picks one of those up in the bathroom and she asks, Mummy, what's this for? I'd simply tell her that I need that because Mummy's bleeding once in a while, once every month, and I need that to uh, catch the blood so it doesn't stain everywhere. And I'd probably tell her that she needs to use one of those one of these days. <laughs> felt incredibly comfortable having conversations with um, my male friends about uh, periods. But not my dad. I wear a menstrual cup. I swear to God, changed my life. And you can carry it with you wherever and you can put it in wherever and it's easy. And then I also wear Thinx panties, which are period-proof underwear. So now, like, nothing leaks anywhere. And I'm just like, wow, you don't even have to worry anymore? Because you're con, like, I was like, con, like, all through high school and all through my childhood. I was like, fuck, like, am I leaking like that? I gotta, I gotta be careful. And then, like, I have a really heavy clothes and it just goes through everywhere. And, and fucking panty liners are the worst. Ugh. So... I finally feel like I have it more and more under control. I think as gays, we talk about it to our friends, like, yeah. oh, you do on, and we know when women are on, um, we can go to the shop and buy them, like, tampons and stuff. So, like, I did have, like, a period when I was using, like, tampons. I think that lasted two months, and I was like, never again. <laughs> like, I was like, this is too much. Like, it's just a really painful experience when you first do it and stuff. But, um... So, like, now I use pads and stuff. Still very uncomfortable, but, like, I think I've managed to, like, work around what knickers to wear, so I wear those with, like, super, like, tight, but, like, granny panties that, like, go above me, like, and they're, like, boxer shorts, and I'm like, okay, I'm secure. <laughs> I'm secure. Like, it's funny, because, like, when you're walking down the street, and you're, like, and you're with a friend, you're like, please check my bum. Yeah, it's there a mark. And you're just there, like... <laughs> they shouldn't ever, ever 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 get embarrassed because this is nature this is what our mothers grandmothers 
have gone through and what our daughters are going to go through. This is a natural phenomena. We love our women, we love our mothers, we love our wives, we love our children. And this couldn't, shouldn't even have to come into question. When you started your period, can you, well, can you remember the day that you did? And can you remember who you told and what you did and what it was like? I can, actually. We'd gone to my mother's brother's, which was a family who, who we visited not very often. And I went to the bathroom and I realised that something had happened. I went back and I whispered in her ear, I think it's happened. And actually she was really lovely. And she had come armed with these huge sanitary towels and came and showed me how to put one on. They were very big and bulky and it was awful because you had to wear an elastic thing underneath your knickers, which had hooks which you had to hook either side of the sanitary towel to, and then you put your knickers on, and you just felt dreadful. You felt like everybody could see. Everybody. <laughs> why, don't we, uh, why don't we just introduce who you are? Okay, my name's Judy, and I am Jessie's mum. <laughs> and how old are you? And I am nearly 64! <laughs> <laughs> and a Beatles fan. <laughs> and a big Beatles fan. <laughs> So you were born in 1953. I was. Uh, which is a long time ago. Quite a long time ago. <laughs> Depends how you feel. <laughs> um, and how old were you when you started your period? Well, I was trying to think about it. I think I was 15 before I was um, the legal age for having sex. I definitely remember that. So it was around that age. Why do you remember that so much? Because there were a lot of things going on in the family at the time, mainly to do with me being rather a naughty girl. Can you be a bit more explicit about what, what trickiness did you I just think? loved telling lies, and I used to go off with boys and kiss them. <laughs> I've heard even a bit more than kissing them. It was only kissing and fondling, Jessie. <laughs> <laughs> it was all pre-sex. But I was under 16, definitely. two older sisters who also used to make fun of me and my kind of education for growing up in puberty was as soon as I got hairs under my arms I remember Diana and Rosemary going Ooh, you'll get you'll start soon you'll start soon something like that I can't remember um, but my mother seemed incapable of telling me any narrative so the way that I found out was first of all when I was about 10 finding my sister's bloody knickers in her satchel because I was also a very nosy Parker, and I looked inside her satchel and found them. And basically, I learned all about everything when I was sent away to school. <coughs> I was in a dormitory with a whole load of girls who knew everything, and I found out when I was sent away that I knew nothing. Mm. How did that make when they were talking about French letters, I really thought they meant writing to French boys, and they didn't at all. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know what a French letter is. French letter is a condom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. And then, of course, I had to learn about using a Tampax as soon as I went to school. And that was the most terrifying thing I've ever, ever done. Because although I did 
Yeah, I did that. wank as a child a lot, and I loved getting to the fizzy bit, <laughs> which is what I used to do. Um, I I was very scared about pushing something up there, probably because I had no idea about the physiology or what would happen. So I do remember trying many, many times before I succeeded, then realising that it was fine. Um, yeah. Anything else that you can chat about? Oh, I don't think so. All right, well, thanks very much. Thank you, Jessie. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say. Agonising pain. Thanks, Jessie. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, that was funny because while we were listening to it, it sparked off so many conversations. So it's obviously, it's interesting because it's something that people don't talk about but that, as you found out they want to yeah i was saying while, while we were listening to it um so i walked down kings on high street i spoke to like every single kind of person of like age and whatever um and every single one i just went up and was like do you want to talk about periods for a podcast and they all said yes so i think i, I do think if you ask people questions they do want to talk about it but we were both saying that we still i don't know there's just something about it where you still don't feel quite quite ready yeah, and there's like, yeah, using other words and other terms. Yeah, still, being you subtle know. about it. <laughs> you know. So, um, thank you so much. So, now uh, we are joined in the studio by artist Simon Milner, um, who takes us into the small hours where drugs and bodies collide and intertwine with his upcoming exhibition, The Night Is Over, Applaud, at Doomed Gallery in Dalston later this month. Thanks. Hi. Hi, Simon. Thank, thank you, you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me here. So tell us, um, give us a bit of a kind of insight into this exhibition. What what can we expect? Well, it's um, my uh, my first uh, show show for like three years now. And um, I guess like I like to have a theme, an overall theme for a show. Um, and this one was um, is about the weight of human bodies and how that is, uh, that feels uh, to you like in a way that... You know, if if a friend passes out or something, and then you you, you try to carry them, um, even though their weight is a certain amount, if you you could carry that in a bag like very very easily, but being a human body, there's there seems to be added weight to it, and especially about um, how, what like their their relationship to you, your relationship to them, uh, there seems to be like this like phantom weight that uh, seems to be very very heavy. So I was try- like trying to trying to have pieces of work that reflect that. And um, is more of is not not trying to say anything in anything any of the works there. It's just more of a, to try to have an experience and try to you know um, portray this this idea that there's this phantom weight uh, within us all, and this can change. But like you know, like if you care about somebody more, there's more of a weight there than you know the. Um, I guess like you know, I don't know. It's all in your head. So um yeah so it's like um half built up with uh videos and uh the other half of uh paintings um so yeah just like this overall theme trying to tie them in it's very hard to have videos and paintings to correlate and to you know um because obviously they're going to look so so different so um so I try to do with the with the paintings I use a lot of um house gloss because one is very cheap uh, and two, it has this heavy wetness that uh, you, I'm trying to like cross over this feeling of weight. Um, I use whites and blacks because they're also the um, 
that gives you a bit more of a, like a night kind of like idea. Um, and also like the the idea of the gloss is like it does it like when it dries, it dries um, gloss, <laughs> like uh, that that kind of shiny effect. So it almost feels like it's just recently been done, and you can you can touch it, and it's still wet. So it's like giving it a bit more of an like a immediacy, like a you know it's a, it's a bit closer in that. And then the videos uh, are quite linked to the night. They're quite voyeuristic. Um, they are. I've taken a lot of idea from kind of homemade porn that you see online and how the videos of, of homemade porn are very, it's almost like anti-composition um, like and uh, with a flash and on the iPhone and everything's blown out and you're not quite sure whereabouts you are on, on the human body. You don't know you, like what whose body you're on. And I feel this is like kind of like a, you know, a way to like kind of, immerse people into the the um idea of the night and and the weight <laughs> of human bodies uh yeah and I, I mean i had a look at the some of your video work and it, it's like this that there is that aesthetic of kind of um taking away the kind of the gloss of the the, the the porn video where everything looks you know the skin is all smooth and here it's like you're really in people's pores and it's like you're going from one part of the body to the other and you really don't know where you are and there's all the hair follicles and it's all, all quite like what 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 are we looking at? Is this a knee? <laughs> where where yeah. are we? And um, and it kind of the camera just moves across the body like that. So it's almost like you're exploring with the camera um, around somebody's body. Yeah, and and um, also I started trying to get this uh, trying to get this like kind of feeling across of um, when you become inter- intertwined with people like at certain times of night, and you know you don't even need to be high, but if you are high, you sometimes can get lost yourself in in you know what what who's the limb is what, and I kind of wanted to get this so you can the, the all of the video the the videos have been made up over many nights and um, and uh, the. You know, you can you can't tell when you transition like from one body to another because you burn it out with a flash, like bring it close to the the flesh. Um, which I try to like uh, recreate in the paintings by having them, the, the the images like one bright color, so it's like, and then the, the the darkness being being the black gloss and then the white gloss, and has a separation of the flash that that molds the bodies together. Um, yeah, I don't know if this makes any sense. If you're gonna I think, <laughs> like, I've spoken. It, no, <laughs> it's it, mad. But I think that the whole point is to inspire people to go and go and have a look and and experience it. Um, so the the exhibition is at the end of the month at Doom Gallery, which is in um, Ridley Road. So that's kind of interesting because it is an area um, that. It's quite transformed day and night. Um, you know, it's Ridley Road Market during the day, and then at night it's a totally different place. It's very kind of, uh, it's yeah. got that nocturnal vibe about it. Yeah, it's very Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, um, so that it's an interesting place to choose to to do do this kind of exhibition. Yeah, so I'm um, like, uh, I, I've just like this is the first time I've been working like for a show with uh, George Annan from Annan Arts. And um, we were looking into different venues and stuff. And like at first, you know, there's a lot of galleries, say, like around the Brick Lane kind of area and stuff. And, you know, I wasn't kind of too too into that idea. I wanted more, I don't know, like a, like a, I don't separate really my life and everything so much. So I'm like, okay, I, like, I live here and I spend most of my nights like around here. So I think this would be more, more fitting for the project. 
And then um, we were looking into having the opening um, at 3 a.m. But then every time we tried to like push this as an idea, then it kind of didn't really work. Cause, but what I wanted to do is like have an opening. So on Thursday night at 3 a.m., wherever you are, you'd have to, you, you'd have to come see this, this opening. And then so I'd like, you know, I want, I want people to be intoxicated in a way to see the work. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I think it needs to be linked to that, like um, that kind of idea. So the kind of 3 a.m. opening, it's not going to really work. I don't think many like, you know, it's hard to get a lot of people like there and like kind of like you have to like sheep herd some sort of like. Uh, some, uh, or you could do an exhibition in a club. It's another solution. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, no, but so so the 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 where I got to is um the other night I um went and bought a load of uh, poppers, amyl nitrate. So I'm going to have amyl nitrate in my show. So. Along with it, along with some alcohol, you can. So the videos and stuff, I'm encouraging people to sniff amyl nitrate before viewing the videos and and viewing the art because I want people to be immersed. I want people to have a bit of a headache. I want people to be feel a bit dizzy before. Do you know? Because it, it should be it should be an experience. It should be like you know, it's like a, I don't want somebody in, you know in the daytime to look at some of my art. Obviously, a choice, and we're not condoning taking. Amyl no, nitrate. no, no. Sorry, of yeah, course. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just had to put that in. <laughs> but it's an interesting idea just to get people kind of and also the music you compose some music for the show as well, yeah. which does have that kind of quite um I, I don't know how to describe it, that sort of almost desperate feeling that you that comes at three AM and that kind of being entangled in bodies and not quite knowing where you are. You do feel that through through the music that you compose for the videos as well. Yeah, so so the one piece that I don't think uh, you'll play for the show is like because it's very it's very minimal and it's like um it's a lot of sub bass and so that doesn't really come across on radios like cuz not a lot of people have their radios plugged into like a big hi-fi system. But that that piece is more uh, any idea of like everybody in in London that I know lives in flats where you can hear, hear your flatmate and you can hear, like, you know, the people in the next room. So when you get intimate and stuff, everybody's, like, a little bit, like, try to, like, quiet and stuff. So I have a lot of atmospheric sounds of, like, um, you know, music and stuff you can hear. So it's, like, one of those things that you'd, like, you know, like, you're trying to, you know, uh, trying to be as quiet as possible. But then there's also, like, you know, you can always, whenever you try to be quiet, ends up things end up, like, you know, uh, you know coming through a bit. And then the, the song that you're actually will hear is um, is a little bit more like a like a hard techno song. So that comes a bit more before you end up <laughs> at the house. <laughs> and and just uh, go back going back to you. Um, I had a look at your your work. You've got a lot of work on Instagram and on on your website. Um, and your your this is quite new for you, as far as I understand. Working with this more kind of abstract video form because your paintings are all a lot more real, realistic and kind of, there is like an abstract feel but there, there, is, there is, does seem to be a bit more of a kind of realism through your painting. So why, why have you kind of shifted or, or have you or have you always been experimenting? Well, um, I, I made my, um, the, my first art video like, uh, like when I was in art, art school actually and it was like uh, filming outside of, um, outside of two trains and the movement of the two trains, it like uh, um, it felt almost like uh, organic, or like because when you when it goes up and down a hill and it snakes around cordons and stuff, it felt like this kind of free flowing because of the joints on the train. It felt like almost like a spine of some sort of animal. Um, uh, and then and then 
then I made a couple of other like films and stuff, but I mainly stuck to painting. But um, uh, I know some, sometimes it's good to it's good to go into like a, a different medium because you can get like kind of stuck um, if you keep producing work in a certain medium. And like, uh, so I did actually a, a couple of other random things. I did some sort of um, some sort of ident for links africa <laughs> and i think it sounds nuts but i like having to be like a, a going to accra at the time like in ghana so i was like okay cool like um you know i, got, I found a gym like a boxing gym in like downtown in um like uh the yeah and i was just like filming some boxes and stuff but so like videos and then and then also then i've made um pop like videos from like friends bands and stuff like music videos so like um i don't know i think i think you can do you can do I, I think it's kind of be quite boring if you stick to one uh, what's it called one, medium yeah medium yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a question where, where do you go out um, I go out like uh, all over East but mainly like um, my my like hole is alibi right. and what's your like what's a standard night in your life um I don't know. Like uh, I try to, I try to be like I'm quite like uh, my my productive time comes at night time, so it's like good to like you know when you're like at home and start drinking and start getting into like like creating and stuff like that, then you end up like stumbling out and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the what, what, what you're aiming for. <laughs> well, I get it because like so much of your work is based around it. I was just interested. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like um. Yeah, I think I think it would be I think it would be like uh, I would be lying to myself if I started to make work that was meant for the daytime. Do you know what I mean? Because like um, you know, uh, uh, so the idea of the night, the 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 name of the night, the night is over. Applaud. It's like um, it's a kind of like the idea of like that you made it for another night and like like okay, like you know, everybody know the end of the night when everybody's just uh, like the uh, you have this collective idea of like okay, it's over, and it's weird that this collective idea like is so like in like. Like it's an instinct, and everybody knows it. But like, except for everyone in a while, some, some people some never want yeah. it to end. But yeah. we do have to end on that oh, point. <laughs> I didn't know um, it. I didn't know it. <laughs> so, uh, Simon Milliner, thank you so much. So, the night is over. Applaud is at the at Doom Gallery on Ridley Road um, on the 29th and 30th of July. So, um, I oh, encourage. And the, and the opening is actually on the 27th. The opening is on the at 27th. Six o'clock. Um, and Whether that's the one. Trip. That's the one to go to. Um, <laughs> so this has been East Cast. It's time to say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond. In the meantime, you can find everything on EastCastShow.com. And thanks again to Freddie Chick, our engineer at the helm of the show. And so we're going to to play us out. Um, is Loop by Simon Milner so thanks for listening and join us again in September on Eastcast <laughs>